All right. Uh, let's welcome to our program, uh, along with uh, Tim O'Connor and golf spiritual leader, myself. It's uh, kind of a little bit different for us today, Tim, because we're going to be talking to a uh, very, very successful, smart, uh, funny stand-up comedian and a uh, person that I've known in the business for a very long time. Uh, we'll explain why I thought it would be, be interesting for our golf friends to uh, listen to this. Say hello to John Wing Jr. Hello, John. Hello, Howard. Hello, Tim. Hey, good to see you. Um, you too. Tom, just give me some... Uh, I mean, for a lot of people uh, know who you are, John, through... Let me see. Uh, six Tonight Show appearances, uh, ten times around at Just for Laughs, uh, all across the country, every festival. John's been doing comedy for a very long time, and the reason I'm intrigued by what John has to say about golf is because John is a student of the game of comedy, and I found out recently, uh, actually on Twitter, that you're also a bit of a golf fan and, uh, and a golfer. What stage of golf are you at? How afflicted are you? Um, well, I, I, I've been playing now for almost 50 years. Um, but I, I, when I had children, I took some time off because it's expensive and, and the, the, what we're currently going through, I may take a little more time off. Yes, no kidding. But once, once the children left the house, I went back to it and I discovered it's wonderful if you started young. Uh, a lot of it was still there, although I, when I stopped playing, I had a, I, I played a power fade, and when I came back, I had a wild, uncontrollable hook, which was lovely. It's the scourge um, of all golfers. <laughs> but uh, uh, I've practiced a lot. I have a practice facility, a grass practice facility, a half mile, three quarters of a mile from my house here, and I'm actually pointing to it. Because that's what you do on podcast. <laughs> that's right. Um, exactly. He's and, pointing uh, west, and, northwest, actually. Angeles National. And a lot of uh, female pros practice there. And it's great. So I go and practice there a lot. But I note that when I practice there, I often hit the ball well. But on the course, weirdly, not always hitting it so well. I've never heard uh, of that. Yeah, that seems odd. That doesn't happen yeah, to yeah. just about weird? everybody that plays. Um, Although... Yes. No, you go ahead. No, the, I recently got a tip that has galvanized my ball striking, and I'm very excited about it. Well, do uh, tell. I was, do I tell. was working. I was working um, at, uh, uh, for the Canadian Snowbirds, and I was talking to a guy. I don't remember his name. He was a retired golf professional, 80 years of age. And I, I had just my wife had filmed my swing on the iPhone. And I had screenshotted several moments from the swing, and I had the impact moment, you know, just after impact. And I showed him the photo of me just at impact, and he looked at it and he said, your hands are wrong. Your hands are <laughs> wrong. And I said, what do you mean they're wrong? And he said, well, you know how the – and he sh showed the club slightly open, and he said the microsecond before you hit the ball, slightly open, the, the microsecond you hit the ball – square in the microsecond after you hit the ball slightly shut he said your hands are not where they're supposed to be after you've hit the ball so you you you're shutting the face a little early 
which is a sh- he said to me, he looked at the shot and he said, did that go left? And I said, sure, they all go left. Of course left. it did. <laughs> Unless I'm late and they go right. Um, uh, so uh, I said, well, how do I fix that? And he said, when you're coming down into the ball, think heel first, as in heel of the club. Yeah. And I, I'm fascinated by the fact that it all it takes is a thought in your head. And I hit uh, a downwind 292 drive the next time I played after a couple of practice sessions working on it. Uh, a perfect draw that landed on hard ground okay. on a downhill slope and went, you know. All right, so we got we're, we're, Tim and I are uh, we can analyze your golf game instantly. As soon as you said that you uh, that you showed somebody a picture of your swing, we're like, okay, you're a bit of a nerd too. So we get it. He's in the um, club. He's in the club. Um, yeah. Well, well, and I, I mentioned to Howard uh, or before we when we hooked up for this. That I've had the yips for a couple of years. That's right. Both with putting and chipping. Uh, and I sent John, you'll love this, Tim. I sent John a, not too detailed, but a fairly simple solution for uh, for freeing yeah. up your putting. And 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 it's, it's something we've talked a lot about here on the show, Tim, which is that drill of, like, not looking at the ball and, and using a metronome and just concentrating on rhythm and, and all the things that we've... We've discussed on the show, um, but but knowing that you had the yips and that you're interested in showing a random stranger uh, video of your swing, we gives us a sense. <laughs> we, well, but he's a golf pro. No, no, I know, but it's just, we're all the same. Like, here's what I can guarantee you: you can't walk by a mirror or a, your reflection at, at the airport without looking at you know how you're moving in your downswing. So we get it. Yeah, I love how I love how golfers. Uh, just don't have the same risk. They don't worry about their vulnerability the way normal people do. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like they won't dare tell you what they're feeling or you know what they're what they're thinking about. But yeah, I think I'm coming down a bit early, <laughs> that's right. and that's causing this. What do you think's going on? Please help me. I love the fact that John's known Tim for all of three minutes. He's like, I have a bit of a bit of a problem with the. I'm flipping. I'm flipping through impact. Well, so, you know that impact is the yips problem. And it's my my right hand, yep. my bottom hand, uh, jerks jerks coming into the ball. Are you left-handed? And, no, I'm right-handed. Oh, okay, yeah, you do. You do what a lot of people do is that you anticipate. It's the anticipation of impact that lets right. you, that that what that what you think you need to do, and what that guy was trying to tell you by having the heel lead is basically you don't need to do anything to get the ball to do what you wanted to do, which is kind of hit a baby soft draw, which is the, you know. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was hitting. Yeah. And I also noted that, that, that when, you see, I'm stri- I, sometimes I strike the ball well. I have a theory that professionals strike it really, really well to perfect, like nine out of ten. And amateurs like myself are, are in the, Three out of ten erratic zones. You strike really well, and and but I find if I, as an amateur, when I do strike it really well, I know it. Yeah, I am totally aware. I can tell by oh, look at that ball flight. My God. You so know? we have this guy with us today, Tim, who's a. Uh, I mean, for years has been not only one of uh, you know my favorite comics, and and like I said to you at the beginning, I've known John a long time. I don't know him well, but I've. We've been we've been moving in the same circles for very many years, and John's always been one of my favorites in terms of sort of knowing 
he, he's a great joke writer, if I may speak of you as though you're not here. John's a great Thank joke you. writer. And I, and I have a suspicion that there's lots of stuff, Timmy, that we talk about for amateur golfers and, and being in a certain state that have some parallels. Tim, uh, you've been doing a lot of public speaking. You've been uh, you know, part of Toastmasters. And you've already found, uh, Tim, that there is, there's lots of parallels between standing up in front of people and we'll get John's comment on this in a second. But you've seen it already in your work, Tim, standing up in front of people, being present, and all those things that are very analogous to what happens in a typical round of golf. Yeah, well, to me, the, what's interesting is that when I first started even like doing your pod, the podcast with you, it was like every once in a while, Howard, you would go, like we'd just be chatting, and then you'd go, so, Coach, what do you do when you have like a four foot downhill putt? What could you, what could you, uh, you know, tell our readers to make their life so much better? And suddenly, I would just have this shock of fear run through me that, oh my gosh, I have to prove that I know everything, I have credibility, and what I'm going to say is right. And what I've had to learn through the years is just to let go of that crap. I mean, the fear will come up every once in a while, but just to kind of breathe into it and let it go. And so I'm interested to ask John how, you know, through golf and through stand-up and different things, how does he deal with sometimes this fear that comes up? Well, uh, in stand-up, uh, I, fear is just so useful mm. uh, because uh, uh, when I, the very first time I ever did a, a, a speech in front of people, I walked on stage and my knees were quaking. I was so scared. But, and and this is just luck, I suppose. I was only uh, 12 or 13 years old. But I turned it into energy. Uh, it became energy. Rather, rather than suffocate me or slow me down, it energized me. And I used that for years. And now I physically, I have to physically energize myself because I can't do it in my head anymore. Right. 60. But, uh, <laughs> Me too, by the way. But the, the, the biggest thing, the biggest thing with comedy in terms of being fearful or having a situation come up that is, uh, that, that, that flummoxes you is you have to relax and you have to go slowly because your brain works so fast in that situation that if you slow, if you slow yourself down a little bit, you actually have way more time than you think. Um, so, okay, so how how so this I'm really interested in this because so many golfers, people I deal with, they get on a first tee and they got just the willies going on, and you you know they you say hey, you could say just relax, maybe breathe. So so what is sort of your process for for relaxing into wow. it? Is it is it through connecting to your your body and your breathing, or what do you do? It's funny. It's funny. I've never. I've never thought of using my my comedy warm up as a golf warm up, and I'm going to try it now. What I do is, um, um, uh, we're not you, uh, we're not seen, right? We're we're, no, this we're, is, we're just on the right? we're using okay, Zoom meeting right. as a recording. What I device. do is I slap, I hard slaps, chest, stomach, uh, thighs, the uh, fat part of legs, hard slaps, five, six, seven slaps each. Hard, 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 up, down, do it twice. Slap my face a couple of times, really hard. Um, uh, jump up and down. You, you, what you want, ideally, what you want to do for me anyway is is go just short of breaking a sweat. 
Um, so it, it gets your blood going. It gets you going. And then as I, um, Howard, uh, can I swear? No, yeah, well, sure, of course. Oh, it's well, the internet. Okay. It's all right. <laughs> so um, the, uh, I got to ask, uh, uh, before I, just before I'm introduced, I, I, I pump my arms in front of me and I say, fuck you. And uh, on stage, I'm very calm. But inside, I've got to be going, roiling, right. right? So that's what I do. Now, what's funny about this is I'm thinking about the father-son tournament in Toronto. <laughs> my dad and me, my brother's caddying for my dad, and, and dad and I are playing, and it's the first tee, and dad says, you want to hit the first drive? And I don't want to hit the first drive. I'm 15 years old or whatever I am. And I go, all these people? I've never hit a drive in front of all these people. You better hit the first drive. So dad goes up and uh, hits one uh, off the extreme heel of the club, like a heel shank, dead left topped ground drive. He almost hit a spectator. <laughs> and and I'd, never, I'd never seen him hit a drive like that ever. Yeah. And uh, we're, he and I were absolutely the same in those situations. I, I, want, um, I want to see if I can draw this this sort of analogy or a bit of a, a metaphor because there are lots of people that we know that are funny. They're funny around their friends. They're comfortable maybe at the office, but, you know, put them up yeah. on stage. Like stand-up produces a very different type of performance experience. And what I, what I want to draw it to is a lot of times we talk on the show that well, you mentioned, you know, you have a good warm up, you you hit it good on the range and then, you know, in front of somebody or maybe on the golf course, the pressure is different. And here on the show, you know, Tim works with high level players and, um, you know, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty what would you say? I'm a, I would be an elite amateur. I play at a national level and I can tell you the difference between playing with your buddies and being introduced on the tee. At the Canadian National, whatever I played in last year, sure. it has a different. It, it, it creates a different experience. Now, here's where I'm going with this: what What are the things that stand ups do? Um, what are okay. what, you know what I'm talking That's about? A, like you, I know about because okay. here, and let me just finish this because doing a show at uh, an open mic when we go and work out material is different than being introduced. You did Leno six times. That first time you did it, that's different than working out your stuff at Yuck Yucks. Yeah, the first time you did, the first time I did Leno, uh, I'd been studying for ten years for a six-minute oral exam, and my entire <laughs> my entire career was on the line. That's right. And so that's doesn't that's a little different pressure than making a speech at your buddy's wedding. Yes, and, and uh, the, the, but the, 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 here's the thing: the difference that nobody gets. Everyone says uh, I'm funny with my buddies. Yeah, okay. How about you go somewhere? where there are, you have no buddies and you are asked to be funny at a specific time. It's so much, nobody understands the fact that you have to be funny at eight o'clock tonight. That's when you have to be funny. You, you don't have to be funny up to eight o'clock or after eight forty-five. but in those, in that period of time, you gotta be funny. And here's the weirdest part of this. Uh, if, if you and I are playing golf, Howard, and you say, I'll bet you a nickel you make double bogey or worse on this hole. You know what I'm going to make on that hole? Double bogey or worse. 
But before you, let me just interject. Now, Tim and I are listening to this because it's the same as, you know, when you want to play well in a round of golf. It's one thing to have a nice round all of a sudden come out of nowhere. But, right, Tim, when you work with your athletes and we, and we play at a, a, a higher level, you're asked to produce a good round. Like, I've got qualifiers coming up for a whole new season of golf. Well, qualifiers are, can you shoot a decent number on this day? Lots right. of guys can. Exactly. Lots of guys. There are lots of guys that beat me at my club, but when it, but they, as soon as we leave the club, and go to a tournament, uh, it's a different story, right, Timmy? When it well, matters. When well, it matters. Exactly. Well, thing, I, go ahead. The only thing in my life, ever, where you put more pressure on me and I'm better, is comedy. The right. only thing I've ever done. Where you pre- you put me under pressure and I rise up, in, in golf you put me under pressure and I collapse. Tim O'Connor, well, what do you it, say? Is it because you've been you said you've been doing comedy for fifty five zero years? Well, for, Forty years. Forty, 40 years. years. So so you got your reps in, man. I mean, you've over yes, and over again, and that to me is the interesting part. Is is you see a lot of people you watch say at a casual person watching golf and say you're watching the Masters together or something. And, you know, someone's got a putt for 10 feet to win the Masters. And they go, like, how do they even pull it back? I exactly. Said, well, well, he's been doing it since he was eight years old. How about how about the most famous Canadian putt in the history of golf? Uh, Mike Weir's second putt on 18 at the Masters in 2003. I'm sitting here watching it with my wife, and I, I'm, 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 I'm crushed up yeah. in the fetal position. And I'm saying to myself, he's going to miss it, and you can't kill the dog. Listen, exactly. I, you know what's fascinating about that is I was watching it. I couldn't sit down. I was like freaking no, out. Exactly. You know, so he I, ma- you but, make a great well, point. And he, he's also from my hometown. But that putt he sank, what, that's the, the putt to get into the playoff with Len Matisse yes, was, yes. was mind-blowing. But but back to what we're talking about in terms of, you know. But, when but, it, but, but that is what we're talking about because Tim it, was talking about the reps. Right. Performance when it counts. Day, Mike had the same yeah, rhythm right. on every putt, the same uh, what routine, and it, that putt was no different. He didn't slow down. He didn't. He didn't take any longer. He stepped up. He smacked it. It went straight in. It's and I watch it every. I literally watch it every couple of weeks. I love it. So what I'm interested in is that so that moment you're going on, you're in the green room or whatever they call it at Leno, and you know okay. that this these six minutes are going to have a huge bearing on your life in the same way, you know, it, it, that a qualifier, you know, is going to have bearing on a tournament or just how someone does it dictates what's going to happen in their golf season. Like, you know, when they used to have the, uh, the Q school, you know, the sixth round. So a similar thing. So right. what is it that gets you through those moments? Is it the trust you have in the material that you just, you own it or so how do you get through that? Well, the first time, standing backstage, the guy who booked me is holding the curtain, about to open the curtain when I'm introduced. And with about 10 seconds to go, he says, don't forget your jokes. Because <laughs> he's a prick. Exactly. Is that, is that Jim and, McCauley? Uh, was that McCauley? Yes, it was Jim McCauley. Yeah, of course. And uh, <laughs> uh, I walk out, and uh, as I walked out, my heart was beating so fast my my last conscious thought was if i have a heart attack here that would be really embarrassing yeah <laughs> and 
and I hit the mark and I, I kind of went zombie and did the set. And you're right because I started and I got a laugh and then I was fine, but I didn't remember it afterward. I was in a, a fugue state mm. where, I, where I had to watch it to remember it because, uh, it, I, I, I couldn't consciously think while I was doing it. And, that's and a, I've never been able to get that state in golf. Uh, well, ever. I was going to say that's very analogous. And, and one of the things mm-hmm. I, I'm going to get to the question I sent you in advance uh, at the end of this, because I, I think it's a, a good place to finish. But, you know, oftentimes, like I stopped doing stand. I mean, I've been doing stand up a long time, but the last four years I've started doing stand up a lot again. And, and I've had to kind of relearn just like you came back to golf after a bit of a hiatus because I had done it so much as a kid. In fact, when I was doing it for a living is when I would run into John the most. But when I came back, I was very conscious of the material. And while I was doing the set, like a golfer sometimes is overconscious of your golf swing where when I'm playing my best golf and I've played some really good golf in the last couple of years, it's almost in that state you describe. I'm going along, I'm making decisions, I'm making swings without really thinking about the material. But as I've gotten a little bit more comfortable the last four years doing stand-up, I just did a th- five sets in three days uh, at a club this past weekend. And by the fourth or fifth set, I'm just doing material again without really having to try and remember it. Right. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. Yes. Uh, because your, your material is like your golf swing and your performance is like being in the moment. Talk about that. Well, trust so much of comedy is your instinct and, and golf is your swing. So you try, they, they say, trust your swing. Uh, it was a big Harvey Penick thing. Trust yeah, your right, swing yeah. and uh, make your swing. Don't be afraid to make your swing. So when I go out there, if I have an instinct, I'll give you an instinct moment. I'm doing a TV special, a live taping of a TV special. And uh, I, I'm doing my final piece, which is a long piece. And uh, I'm, uh, I, I get to a, a point in the piece, and I'm thinking I'm a move ahead. I'm always a move ahead. So, and it sudden a line suddenly occurs to me. Oh, this is funny. <laughs> and then I think, you, but you're taping a lot. You can you can uh, unload paragraphs in your head in the three or four seconds you have. So I'm, I think, yeah, but you're doing a TV special. Maybe you shouldn't do a line you've never done. Try something out. Fun. You know. <laughs> and uh, and then I think, oh, but my brother's in the audience, and it'll kill him. <laughs> Uh, I know it'll make him laugh. So, so all, I do all it. within about a millisecond, right? All yeah, these thoughts, exactly. yeah. So I do it, and on the tape, you can hear. I can hear my brother. I can hear him. He's not the only one who laughs, but I can hear him, and I still do the line uh, because my instinct said, "This is funny." You're in the moment. You trust it. Now, there are going to be times when that your instinct is does that and fails you, mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, like one night I said to a guy before the show, I've been doing comedy like 25 years, man. What the hell's going to happen out there that, that I haven't seen? And that I don't, I go to do a show that night and somebody orders a bottle of champagne in the front row. And the champagne comes in a bucket unopened and they put the bucket down and the ship hits a little wave and the cork blows and hits me in the face. <laughs> and, and, 
And, you know, uh, <laughs> so so you, you don't want to tempt fate like that. It's like that Mark Hayes shot uh, that he won a tournament with where he, he hit a five iron out of a greenside bunker because it was the only shot he had. Yeah. It, it's one of those situations where you come up to a shot and you've never faced it. So how do you, right? Tim O'Connor, what do you say? Well, what I love this stuff because it's exactly – what goes on between the ears of people in performance situations. You know, so me, uh, sometimes just doing this, being a public speaker, you know, Howard on the tee of a national championship. So what I'm really interested in is about presence. It, it, you, you said it a moment ago that you're a kind of a thought ahead. And yes. So I wanted to inquire with you about the, the whole bit of being like really present to what's happening, connecting to the audience as opposed to being in my head and being, you know, am I doing this right? Am I going to hit my next line? So I'm interested in that kind of balance. You know, you know, what's interesting as I got older, occasionally, uh, am I doing this right? Comes into your mind. Hmm. And, and in a, on a comedy stage, it is the equivalent of a panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and uh, I, I I don't in golf because what I love about golf more is that the the uh, there's no two chips that are alike. Right. I'm fascinated by people who can only chip the ball with one club a certain way because there are so many different terrains and, and things you have to deal with, and you have to look at the shot first and say, okay, what do I want to do? Where do I want to land this? What's the best club, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But comedy, um, comedy. If I'm start, if I start thinking about it too much, yeah, I can make huge mistakes. Well, and and sort of reconnecting with golf, uh, I should say, comedy. The last four years, kind of in the same way that you're reconnecting with golf. Like I can tell you that on the on the best nights I've had recently. I'm the most unconscious in terms of worrying about how I'm doing while I'm doing it. And one of the things we talk about on the show over four years, one of the one of the great epiphanies for a lot of our golfers is understanding that you can't think about how to do golf while playing golf. You've just got to say, OK, I've got a chip here. I want to land it there. If you're thinking continually about not only the barrage of how I'm doing and how I look, but if you're wondering how to do golf, you can never get to a, a place of kind of equanimity slash, you know, play, if you will. Right, right. I've never gotten over how frightening a birdie putt is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you, you think about where I'm at now as a comedian again. You know, I'm close. I'm like a one handicap golfer. I play golf at a, a decent level, and you're a scratch comedian. So when you hear me worrying about material, it seems pedestrian to you. And you're you're no, talking. No, 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 no. I, I, no, no. I'm not worrying about what you're worried. You're not even worried about material. You're worried about flow. Right. You're worried about. You're worried about how does this work together. And, you know, it's funny right. you say that because of the five sets I did, the only set I had a little trouble with is that I was, the audience was, 
you know, like a golf course. It was not the, you know, the first show Friday we kill. The second show Friday was a little unstable. And what I was doing is I was trying to pick from different parts to see what would connect. And all of it, right. was, all of it was haphazard. And it ended up being kind of shitty. I mean, they laughed, but it wasn't good for me because I was too much trying to determine what might work as opposed to, you know, screw it. I'll just do my thing here. And right. And, and not have not being in perfect trim right uh you 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 didn't have the uh, it, it falls apart in a certain way it, yeah. it, it doesn't it, uh, it there's no cohesion i i was why i went to see a comedian perform in ottawa a, a few years ago and i hadn't i i don't know why i was in town i had a corporate or something and she was doing a set tracy smith and i was friends with her so i went and she connected with the audience in a way and i that, that really impressed me and i thought are you doing that? Are, are, and, and I made an effort afterward to make sure when I get out there, I want to connect with that crowd. So how but, do you do that? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it the act of creation and being in the moment so you can respond to, you know, a dad whispering to his daughter or you see someone who looks sleepy? What, well, how does that connection yeah. happen? Well, you're, this, it's so much of it is instinct. Your instinct must tell you which things to respond to. Right. And, and, and the vast majority of distractions during a set, you should not respond to. Mm-hmm. But there are some you should. And, and over a period of time, you understand. And, and you're going to make mistakes. But, but most of the time now, I know what to respond to. And what not to, and and you're but making the connection with the audience is actually there's a trick, uh, and I used to trick a lot, and that is you find someone that you can talk to, and they become your conduit right to the audience, and I usually find a young person because I'm I talk a lot about aging and how different the world was when I was their age, mm-hmm. um, so I try to find a young person. And uh, and I noted that was what Tracy did. Um, but uh, you get again at the end of it, sometimes you can't really remember. Right. But that's other, than, yeah. other than the putt you missed. That's one of the biggest yeah. similarities is after a comedy show, you, you don't think about all the <laughs> that's great right. laughs. You think about, you know, I, I fucked this joke up. I yeah, absolutely. It, it, got, it didn't get the laugh it should. And in and, and a golf round, you think, you know, I was going great, and I, and I, I, I chili dipped that shot and, you know, yeah. and made a double there and blew the round. Timmy, what do you want to say? And then I'm going to have one last question for John, then we're going to wrap this up. Well, so much of what I think what you're talking about is, is interesting balance between, is I, I call it discernment. Now, you've been in enough situations where you can pick up things, but sometimes things happen and you, you just allow it to happen. But I think what you're also talking about is when I connect with someone and I'm actually really listening, I'm outside of myself. And there just seems to be a, a, a better flow that happens when I'm kind of outside of my cranium and all the thoughts that are bouncing around. I don't know. How does that work on stage? Well, I talk about I, I, I tell a story about America's Got Talent where I dried on stage. You what on stage? I dried up. I forgot what I was going to do, mm. um, uh, and I had, it was during a two-minute set. Uh, but uh, what you have is you have two jokes going on at the same time. You have a joke in your mouth, 
and you have a joke in your forehead, which I call the slot. So you have a joke in the slot and a joke in your mouth. And uh, I'm doing a joke and it's in my mouth and I'm doing it. And I look up in the slot and there's no joke. (laughs) There's supposed to be a joke there. I know there's a joke. There's supposed to be a joke there, but there isn't one. And I'm in a live performance. So I finished the joke in my mouth and the joke in the slot is supposed to come down into my mouth and the new, the next joke is supposed to come into the slot, but there's no joke. And, and I, while I, when I realize it's going to, it's going to be a problem, I think, well, you know, I'll finish the joke I'm doing and it'll be there. Cause that has had that happened when I was acting on stage in plays, you don't re- remember your line until the cue comes and then you do. Right. But uh, three seconds passed where I didn't. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, it, I did get out of it. But, uh, but uh, you're inside yourself and you're outside yourself at the same time. Uh, and I, I, I don't know how to – I've never – it's never occurred to me till talking to you guys that I can use those thoughts in my golf game. Well, let me let me. That's yeah. what a great way to to connect to this. And I, and I sent John John this in in advance because I wanted you to think a, a little bit about this because it's going to be. I just want to connect the two things finally. And there's a and there's a saying in pro golf in high level golf that really good golfers are either really smart or really dumb. Oh yeah. And and Tim and I have been around both. We both have been around pro golfers that are super smart. I mean, I've. You know, I've hosted events with David Duvall and uh, and people like that. And I've also hosted events with John Daly and and been around those guys. And I asked John, I said, do you think comedians? And it's a weird thing to ask comics, but do you think comics are either really smart or really dumb? And what's better? What's what is it better to be? Because and I mean this in that some comedians we've worked with just seem to sort of be oblivious to all this there's men- a couple i can think of that that are the savant type we, there was one comedian we used to say he's like an idiot savant but without the savant <laughs> that's right and and i know that um, some of the guys we would know in common that we would both think are too smart because i would say hilarious. that you would be in the smart you know, in the too smart what, category i don't know if you guys do you, i'm sure you know David Foster Wallace, do you know who he was? Uh, I know the name. Give me the context. David Foster Wallace was a novelist. Yes. He he died a few years ago. He wrote Infinite Jest. And he wrote about tennis a lot because he was was a high school and college tennis player. And he wrote a piece uh, in which he discussed this phenomenon of the amazing athlete being... Uh, a, a moron in other aspects of life uh, and anyone who's met um, so the, 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 the great ones or let's let's put it another way the great one um, uh, not not morons but but they there are, there are so many things they don't know because they've spent a life concentrating on one thing and Wallace said, a lot of people say it is the price of the gift. But he argued that it was not the price of the gift. It was, in fact, the essence of it. 
the ability to concentrate only on one thing right was the gift not not the the, the price if i make just that, that's just, what i thought of when you asked that question and, and you think about tiger and tim and i've talked about tiger i'm a huge tiger fan and uh we've talked about his social awkwardness not tipping and being a bit bit strange but then you think about he started as a two-year-old oh, on the absolutely. Mike Wallace show. All he's ever known is this, and he's a bright guy. I mean, you know, he went to Stanford. He's not an idiot, but he is a bit of a social... He's got some social awkwardness. I just wanted to know from you, though, John, you know, there, comics are much like that. There's some very smart guys that have yeah. trouble navigating yeah. the world, and then there's some, you know, dumb guys we've worked with prop comics and uh um <laughs> and they just seem to be oblivious to the kind of mental gymnastics that we go through to do this well part of it is we live in our heads yes uh my wife said to me once you sit a lot but it occurred to me after a while that while you're sitting you're actually thinking and while you're watching television, there's actually a lot going on in your head Absolutely. that isn't happening on television. So the thing about us is we spend our lives alone. I'm not sure athletes, elite athletes, do that as much as we do. Maybe some of them do. But uh, but comedians are mostly alone. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I, smart, dumb. I've learned through being married that – I mean, there are areas where I'm completely dumb, idiotic. I, I, there, I don't know anything. And I married someone who's really strong in a lot of those areas, which is good for me. But, yeah. but the areas where I'm smart, if you want to call it smart, I, where I can rattle off a million facts, right? Um, they're not necessarily important, but they're important to my process, so so smart I don't know if it's if it's a question of smart dumb it's it's more a question of process okay. to me. Timmy and What was your first golf tournament on television? I'm fa this fascinates me. The first one the I first ever saw. The first tournament you remember watching on TV. Um the first one I remember on TV would have been uh the 76 British Open. I believe Johnny Miller. Hold on, hold on. 76. J Johnny, Johnny Miller. Miller versus Severiano Ballesteros yeah. at at Lytham? <laughs> um, could be. Is that Lytham? Might have been Lytham. Yeah. Tim's saying, yeah. Yes. Johnny Miller. Yeah. Johnny. That's impressive. Yeah. That's very so, good. So, you, so you're demonstrating all this shit in your head that you can just <laughs> call useless. upon, right? Oh, God. I was watching I was watching a film of a, of the 74 Masters with a guy <laughs> on TV once. It, we, it was on some sports nostalgia channel, 74 Masters film. And we're watching it, and they go, and it comes day four, the final day, Sunday. And I turn to my friend and I say, okay, here's what Dave Stockton's going to be wearing. That's hysterical. Oh, that's crazy. And, and I, I describe his outfit, hat, shirt, pants, shoes. And he comes on screen, and my friend looks at me and says, Freak! <laughs> you are a freak. You're the you're the Mo Norman of you're the Mo Norman of golf telecast watchers. Uh, well, savant. my first my first golf tournament that I remember was the '65 PGA. Wow. Um, no. Listen, man, um, John. Here's the thing: we 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 want to thank you. This is a it's been amazing. Uh, Tim O'Connor. Uh, any final thoughts for John Wing and John? 
Um, when we're done, just hang on here a second. I want to catch up with you about yeah, a couple yeah. things. Yeah. Um, just, it's been really fascinating, John, to connect with Thanks. you and just see how there's so many interesting similarities. Like Howard and I, through the history of this podcast, have really found that in this area of performance, whether it's golf, public speaking, stand-up, it's so interesting to see how there's so many parallels in terms of it. It's, it's, it's about getting your reps in, doing your stuff, but how do you battle those freaking demons in the head, you know, when they, you find, oh, shit, there's, the joke's not in the slot. So Right, exactly. You've yeah. opened up a lot of doors, and uh, you know, I hope uh, I hope this is a kind of a, a – to be continued. Thanks. Yeah, me too. And and um, I knew Tim. I knew you'd find uh, John W. Junior uh, fascinating, especially in that uh, ability to connect golf and the uh, crazy. The, the the well, I, it's it's an art. It's it's an art form for a reason that it it takes so much mental acuity. And and John's been doing it at a very very high level for a long time. John Wing Junior, thank you very much. Thank thanks. you. Thanks, guys.